I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by Golf.com's Luke Kerdineen. Uh, Luke, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me, Tom. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think today we kind of wanted to maybe speak about the evolution of Bryson DeChambeau because I think there's been uh, a misconception really that he's kind of taken advantage of lockdown, put on you know 40 pounds of mass, and and he's suddenly the best player in the world. And and I think there's actually a lot more that's gone into that, and maybe something that's been forgotten just because of recency bias. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, and I think if you look at um, the place where Bryson was coming from, he, he was very much a extremely good ball striker. When he was younger, he was an extremely accurate ball striker. Even now, he's gained a bunch of speed, but he hasn't overhauled his technique to the extent that he's going against his core things that he thinks are important. So, for example, if you talk to Bryson, he'll talk a lot about how his left arm works in the golf swing. He talks about end regions of motion of his joints and his, uh, and things of that nature. So, basically, what that means is he wants to put his joints in a, in a position where he, they can't turn anymore. They physically can't turn anymore. And then he wants to learn how to swing like that. Um, so, you know, he was he's still doing all these things, even though he's swinging a lot faster. Uh, he's still, you know, his putting, he sorted out ages ago. He's become one of the most consistent and best putters on tour. That has nothing to do with distance. So I think that it's easy to say this guy's just, you know, forsaken everything and all he does is hit the ball far and now he's great, when really that's not actually what's going on. There's a whole foundation there that he's spent far longer uh, getting in a good place and now he's simply adding distance to it and that's why i think we've seen him jump to a next level yeah absolutely I, we, we, I spoke to charlie ford last week on the podcast and we spoke about um when you're at wing foot if if roy McIlroy had exactly the same numbers that the brysons had and won in exactly the same fashion um that maybe there wouldn't have been such a an outcry for the game's change and how he'd he'd sort of overpowered winged foot and, and not really played it strategically. And, and that's not a slight on Rory or, you know, anything against him, but I just think it's a difference in perception of the two players. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, Lou Stagno is a great follow on Twitter. Um, he's one of the decade golf guys had pointed out that Bryson's week at wing foot, that was one of just two times in the shot link era that a player finished in the top three of driving of strokes gained driving, strokes gained approach, and strokes gained around the green. And then on Sunday, he finished in the top three of strokes gained putting too. So sure, like, did distance help him do some of these things? Of course, like, as always has been the case in golf, the, fur, the closer you are to the hole, the more likely you are to hit the ball in the hole. But he was doing all sorts of things, well, especially on Sunday, but throughout the week that I think we shouldn't sleep on. I think the other thing as well that we, we kind of spoke about was that, you know, yes, um, I think that the tour average are longer at hitting the ball. Uh, you know, the tour average is right up about 298, whatever it is now. Um, but, you know, Hank Keeney was hitting at 320 yards. John Daly was near 320. Rory's been at that, that level for quite some time. You know, this he's not hitting the ball miles further on average. Yes, when he absolutely cranks one, it goes further than, than many on tour now. Um, but it's not a case of he is just... He's suddenly, you know, 50, 60 yards closer to the hole and everything just becomes routine. It's just that that it's a big transformation for him. Um, and then he's now figured out the other ways. I mean, like when he won um, earlier in the year, Detroit, you know, it was it was his putting that really helped him that week. And, and people tend to overlook that just because of the narrative around him. Yeah, exactly. And look, like, I think the idea that Bryson went away, gained a bunch of weight, came back, one at winged foot, which is a place that's supposed to allegedly um, reward accuracy and this and that. When, like, by the way, Phil Mickelson should have won the 2006 US Open <laughs> at two fairways on Sunday. Like, let's be clear, like, he was not a ball striker's ball striker when he was in contention that week. So I think even that in itself is a bit of a myth. But yeah, I just think the starkness of it has caught people off guard. Um, there's also sort of this other underlying thing where people think the ball should be rolled back because distance is, is golf's become too distance oriented. I, I don't like, I, I don't know if that 
position or that analysis of the problem in golf is correct or not like it probably is like that it's become more distance focused but one thing i know for sure is that distance has always been important so it may have become more important but you know people used to talk about bobby jones's booming drives and you know slamming sammy sneed was all-time winning a pga tour player ever and you know greg norman was world number one for years and years and years and he uh, he was a fantastic driver of the golf ball. Rory is a fantastic driver of the golf ball. Uh, so it's it's really easy to say, well, you know, it's all distance now. When if you look at the dominant player of every era, you know, if you look at Jack Nicholas's game, did lots of things well because he was Jack Nicholas. But his strength of his game was that he was a power player. Same with Sam Snead. Same with Bobby Jones. Same with all these guys. So. I think it's really simplistic to say, well, it's all about power when the reality is power's always been an advantage, always. And it will be, no matter what. Even if you roll back the ball 50 yards, the person who hits it the furthest will have the biggest advantage <laughs> everywhere. And this um, is music to my ears because this is exactly what we said last week was the case, and you've pointed out there that Nicholas and Tiger and you've went back to Sneed and people like that as well, is that it has always been advantageous. It always will be, no matter what you do. Um you know, and, and me and Charlie spoke about maybe the fact that it, I think the way I see it is that the golf technology, golf equipment, uh, the, the the players' athleticism, and everything has moved on at such a, a high rate. And maybe golf course design and um, you know the, the style of play maybe is, is stuck behind. I think that you know if, if you know if you can design a golf course differently, you can protect against these power plays if you give them something to think about off the tee. I just think that the guys that that hit it the furthest are also the best players in the world at different things. And that's why they are at the top of the world. I don't think it's just because they can hit it further. You know, John Rahm has got an incredible all-round game. Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Bryson, everything. All They've got all the facets. It's just that driving is probably their, their leading thing. Yeah, and I think, too, that a lot of people... And, and, and again, like, I don't necessarily disagree with, like, their analysis of the problem, right? Like, golf, I think, has probably become more distance-focused than it was, I think. I don't know. I wasn't around back then, but it seems like it may have. But, like, some when I talk to a lot of these people, I do push back against the idea that that's necessarily bad or, um, more specifically, that it's, um, that it's becoming more uniform because... I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I think it will prompt changes in golf course design. Like, you know, if, if let's say everything continues going unchecked, we'll start seeing more golf courses like Le Golf National, right? Where guys were hitting irons off tee, they were laying up. It's extremely strategic. But then, uh, you know, a lot of people on golf Twitter hate the design of those kind of golf courses. They think, oh, it's just target golf. It's boring. It's this and that. They kind of want what it, used to be almost exactly when in reality like we kind of need to embrace the change in multiple different areas um and then you know secondly and finally like the fact that it people say well you know golf's become so uniform nowadays i don't necessarily look at the top however many players in the world and think it looks all that uniform you know um i think that sure like matt wolf and bryson hit the ball far but you know i look at uh, I look at Rory, who hits the ball far, but also hits the ball extremely straight. I look at guys like Brendan Todd, who, sure, he's an outlier, but he's an extremely accurate, extremely short hitter. I think there are guys who are good putters, who are better putters than others. Guys who, like Colin Morikawa, remember him? Just won a major. He's not particularly long, not particularly good putter. He's an extremely good ball striker there. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Like, the only way it's becoming more uniform is that it's becoming more athletic i think um but i i don't know if the makeup of players as games will become as uniform as everyone thinks no i completely agree with that you say just to push it even further you've got webb simpson up there you've got patrick reed's not the longest you know driver of the ball hideki matsuyama these guys are all up there you know louis stays in game he hits it pretty far but not the longest you know they're all up there because they have an all-round package. And as long as that's still the case, and, and my biggest point I keep referencing back to is if, if Brendan Todd and Webb Simpson can account for five, six wins a season, you know, it's not going to happen every year, but it's happened this year, and it's and, you know similar players have done that 
for the last decade or so, you know, if that keeps happening, then golf is absolutely in a great place. You know, there's there's certain golf courses that other people are always going to be suited to. And I don't think that they'll ever change no matter what you do um, until golf courses change as a whole. Yeah, and I think, too, that when you look at, like, you know, you play golf, I play golf, forget the PGA Tour for a second. Like, one of the reasons why playing golf is so hard is because really what you're talking about is like six different skill sets you know there's nothing inherently similar between being able to hit the ball really far and being able to putt really well um there's no real similarity in being able to hit the ball really straight and being able to read a green correctly you know what uh, sure like there may be some skills that are more important than others like driving the ball far is more important than um say hit, driving the ball straight but like uh, you still need to be good at putting you still need to be good at reading greens you still need to be good at course management you still need to be good at all these things um and that's really what golf is it's like six different things and so one player coming along and hit doing one of these things really well and passable at say putting and reading greens like i don't know if that guy's gonna have a nice big long luxurious pga tour career you know i think like there are going to be a whole host of guys who get on the pga tour for a bunch of different reasons um someone like webb simpson is not a far hitter but he's an accurate hitter and he is really good at putting um and so i think like there's going to be these different combinations of guys that make it to the pga tour that i think will be um will, will kind of help bring some diversity to that yeah absolutely and and to your point again about the what you brought up there the amateur golfers and and you know the hobbyist golfers i spoke to arcos golf a little while ago and and they were saying that actually that it's not a lot but it's two yards every year or so that that driving distance is actually going down amongst you know their players on the arcos system um which kind of suggests to me that you know yes okay equipment has improved um but i think you just need to realize how good these guys are at driving the ball they're they're hitting the center of the face they're you know they're getting all the data off i think Trackman's actually a massive uh you know bigger addition to anything other than a driver and, and how far they hit it because they've just got all the data that they can work on and, and and nothing's really guesswork anymore yeah like you know i've seen a lot of these guys practice firsthand and i know a lot of their coach as well and you know they are like very intently working um, on say squeezing out an extra yard or two and they can do that relatively easy now whereas back then it wasn't always you know it, it wasn't always as easy to be able to pull up your swing get your trackman number see exactly what's going wrong know exactly why it's going wrong how to fix it all this stuff um there's just because of the technology advantage nowadays it's easier to kind of get to work on your game and relatively quickly you know of course you need the right coach to do it but relatively quickly to add some good stuff to your game um because you can do it in such an optimized way yeah absolutely let's go on to the the manning question because i think that the reason that you know i've brought you on and the reason i wanted to talk about is because i think that you know i've spoken to the misconceptions and i try and put it in you know into 200 characters on twitter and, and really struggle to to show uh, what I mean and it's not a lot easier to talk about it and I think it's just you know the best way to do that is to highlight his journey so far and to point out how far he's come and what he's actually had to evolve from rather than just what he's done over the last six months so you know when was the first time that you became aware of, of Bryson DeChambeau and when you first started covering him as a journalist? So I first became aware of Bryce when he was in college that I wasn't really paying attention. I was working at USA Today at the time, where I covered a combination of golf and American football. And um, he really caught my eye during the Masters that year. When he came on as an amateur, uh, I can't remember exactly where he finished, but I know that he was right up there in the mix, you know, for the first couple rounds at least, um, before he hit away with Drive on 18. And there was just so much made of his swing, of his attitude, uh, I mean, of his approach to the game, of his attitude towards improvement, his single-length clubs. And I just thought, this guy is awesome. Like, he's fascinating. He's, he's like, not afraid of um, being different. Uh, he's an ultra-competitor. Uh, and I just was sort of, I just thought, this guy is going to be awesome. You know, I just want to keep my eye on him. And he's clearly 
he's a proven winner too, which, you know, somebody once told me the thing about winners is that winners win, right? Like above all else, like if a guy wins, like keep your eye on him, forget how he does it, why all that stuff, just keep an eye on it because that's not a trait that vanishes easily. Um, I covered his first event as a professional. So what was this? He was, I think 2016, he was an amateur and his first, I think, event as a pro was 2017 at RBC Heritage. So I play, I, I covered him there. Um, and just kind of kept an eye on him ever, ever since. And luck, luckily got to know him a bit and, uh, you know, got to know him personally and picked his brain about all sorts of stuff. Now he's come aboard as a, as a contributor for Golf Magazine and Golf.com, which is where I am now. He's going to be talk about all sorts of different instruction and equipment stuff. So I'm really excited about that. He sat down for our podcast earlier uh, or late last week. It just dropped on Monday and Tuesday this week. So um, definitely one to keep an eye out for. And uh, yeah, you know, he's just, uh, I, I really like the guy on a personal level. I really like his game on a professional level. And I think that we'll see lots more of him to come. Well, yeah, just to go back to that Masters. So he was tied fifth after the second round and shot a 77 um, on the third day, which you know took him out of contention. But it was actually immediately after that week at the Masters in 2016 that he turned pro at the at the Heritage that you spoke about, and he finished in a tie for fourth. Um, you know that was the best finish of a of a professional debut uh, up to that point of, of anyone. You know, taking into account Woods, Mickelson, you know, Nicholas, anyone. That I don't think that that kind of gets remembered because I think people remember him coming out of uh, college and being this this scientist guy who you know dipped his balls in Epsom salts to make sure everything was you know how he wanted it to be and and I think this even like the single iron thing there was so much made about it um, but this was something that he you know alluded back to because he read a book called The Golfing Machine by Homer Kelly and and he he basically it was all about trying to get it onto the same plane with more consistency right which is not an outlandish thing to think is it if everything's you know repetitive then it's going to be easier. And I think that's all he looked back to. And single iron, you know, uh, single length irons were brought about in 1930 by Bobby Jones and never took off because they, they probably didn't have uh, the, the numbers and, and the technology they needed. They tried again with Tommy Armour in 1988. It's not something that he is he alone has thought about. It's just that it took him to really get into it and, and prove the data behind it. And then get into Cobra. He spent time at Cobra actually developing those irons for them in their R&D. You know, he he developed it to what he needed to be to make it successful on the tour. Yeah, exactly. And if if you talk to Bryson, he'll say that above distance, above everything, that his single biggest mission is just reducing variables, right? Like he just wants. And he says, like, look, I swing this way because if you design a robot to swing a golf club, this is how they would set up to the golf ball. Um, and the reason why he has single length irons is because he doesn't want his swing moving around all different uh, all different directions between clubs. Um, you know, one fascinating thing he talked about in the podcast that we just sat down with him for is that when he's actually on his off weeks, he doesn't play golf at all. Um, you know, he may go test out something on the course, play a few holes, but he's just on the range the entire time trying to groove a motion. Um, and so I think that that's just that that's how that that's how the guy thinks you know it all comes back to him about like how can i take out something that will make this game a little simpler will make this game a little easier and more repeatable that's really like his guiding principle for everything that he does in his game and do you think that that is the massive problem that people have because i think a lot of people see uh golf as an art and, and really you know when it boils down to it now it's a science and it you know it, he likes to take that approach and at the end of the day all he is doing is making the game easier for himself within the rules he's he's looking at it and going why would i handicap myself if i can just if everything that i do makes this easier if having jumbo max grips on my irons and wedges so they can sit in the palm of my hands as opposed to my fingers um makes it easier for me why am i not going to do that and if everybody i'm not going to say everybody needs to take that approach because there's there's no you know there's many ways to skin a cat but he he has done it and that works for him and and you know what the thing i really like about bryson is that he's so comfortable with his own game he's just happy to to stick to it he's comfortable with his own skin and if, if other people don't like it then then that's fine because he'll just prove the results at the end of the day 
And the funny thing is, like, Bryson, if you ask him, he won't say, like, oh, everybody should do what I'm doing. Like, he'll just say, you got to do you. You know, this is what works for me. Like, he... Like, he wants to try to, like, introduce his approach to people, but he doesn't want to try to convert people to his cause, you know? He just wants to, like, showcase what he's doing, and if it works for them, great. If it doesn't, great. Um, Ultimately, the thing that I find so, like, endearing about Bryson, and it's because I think, like, I have a tablespoon of that in me, and, you know, a lot of people do, is that Bryson looks at like winning and losing or rather as improving and not improving is like a pretty binary thing. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, he'll look at something like, okay, how do I get better at golf? I should probably hit the ball further. Okay. Well, how do I hit the ball further? Well, I should probably pack on about 40 pounds. So then he'll immediately go pack on 40 pounds and then he'll be like, yeah, okay, good. I hit the ball further and I'm a better golfer. And he wins the U S open. And, (laughs) The concept that people might find that a bit strange, like, is just a bit perplexing to him. He's like, what, what, like, why wouldn't people like that? And it's, and it's just so funny to me. Like, he doesn't necessarily care, or he doesn't, yeah, you know, he doesn't necessarily care what it looks like, right? He's just trying to do what he thinks will help him play better golf and be a better golfer and win. Um, it's like everybody else who cares about what it looks like. And, you know, what, like, oh, why, you know, why would you do this? It's so weird. Oh, why would you, why would you have single length? It's so awkward. It's so this, it's so that. Like, Bryson discounts all of that. He doesn't care how it looks or how it may feel at first or whatever. He, he's just trying to do something that he, he's trying to get a little bit better every single day. And that's something that I think is like a real lesson that people can learn from regardless of their line of work that maybe care a little bit less about how something looks or sounds or whatever and focus a little bit more on like bringing it down to the first principles of what are you trying to do yeah and i think also uh, a kind of example of someone else that thinks that i think you know when people ask dustin johnson about you know changes that he's made in his game he doesn't go into great detail about it he just says look this works and this is how i'm going to get it done and and that's it and um you know it's just that because Bryson adds this kind of level of intelligence and analytics to it, I think that it just maybe rubs people up the wrong way. And I think a lot of that is because some people don't understand it. And I think that's a, yeah, and I think that's absolutely fine. If you don't understand what he's saying about it, and and that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, and you know you you don't know how to to process what he's saying, then fine. But if if what he is saying matches up to what he is doing and what he is doing is working then who are we really to question it or should we just be you know marveling at it and trying to find ways i think to me it just makes it should make other players look at what they're doing and and really sort of say to themselves well what do i need to do to get better not necessarily put on 40 pounds hit the ball the way he does but what can i do in my games to make those massive increments and and changes yeah, exactly. Um, look, like I think ultimately, and everybody is a little alarmed when someone when something different comes along, right? Like there's it, it, there's just countless examples that extend far, far, far beyond golf. But the truth is that anything that's different sort of scares a lot of people for a variety of different reasons. Um, you know, change isn't always easy, especially when you're talking about golf, right? And that that immediately puts people on alarm and i think when you have somebody like bryson who isn't like kind of apologizing for the way he does things as he shouldn't you know he's just kind of saying this is me this is who i am um it's easy to character characterize that as something that it isn't which is like arrogance or whatever when really it's actually just a genuinely really nice guy and he's smart and he you know it, it will say himself that he's not perfect and he makes mistakes but he's just trying to he's just trying to do him and so again like i just think that something that i really respect about him is that he doesn't care how something uh, may look he just is trying to he's just trying to get a little bit better and i think that that's kind of actually quite a refreshing and very adaptable attitude that people can have in their everyday lives golf course or no golf course yeah absolutely i think it's a it's a single-minded approach to get better but there's so many different avenues and how he does that and and if something's 
you know, not working. He's very quick to, not quick to, to get rid of it. He'll persevere as long as it's necessary to persevere with. But if he knows it's not going to work, he will make the changes. And I think that's why we've seen sort of ebbs and flows in his career. And do you think that, you know, the early part of his career, and look, let's, let's be frank here. He only turned professional in 2016. So he's only been professional for, you know, four or five years. Um, do you think the early part of his career is overlooked just because of the recent success that he's had? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, this is a guy who, what, he's 20, I think he's 27 now, and he has won, what, seven times, and one of those is a major. I mean, he is on, like, a, an extremely promising trajectory here. Um, and I think, like, it's, I do think it's something that we sleep on. I, I think that maybe now they're starting, I mean, he's number five in the world. I think there is a collective realization that this guy's going to be sticking around for a long while. I think... Had you asked me this this time last year, when it was kind of pre-peak Brooks Kepka mania, um, that maybe people would have, a, a lot of people would have said like, ah, oh, you know, they would have really slept on Bryson, and they, there was a lot more sort of Team Brooks people out there now. Um, even though they aren't diametrically opposed in any way, really. It's just, I think that Brooks kind of overshadowed Bryson's stuff a little bit. Um, and now that, you know, Brooks is injured and hopefully he comes back soon. But now Bryson doing what he's doing has sort of made people realize, oh, wow, this guy is for real. It's not flash in the pan. He's got his major, um, you know, he probably win a few more. I, I think that people are starting to come around from the fact that not only was he good before, but now he's, you know, he, he, he's like a real, he's going to be someone who sticks around for ages. Well, the thing that I um, look at it as is, is back to your earlier point, you know, right at the start, that that winners win, okay? And he was he was amongst a list. Of, I think it's five people that have won both the national championship and the US amateur in the same year. Uh, turns professional, finishes fourth in his first start as a pro. Uh, then he doesn't. He, he goes to the US Open, uh, finishes fifteenth after I think he was a top ten after three rounds, uh, slipped back. Uh, doesn't get his card, and then he goes. So he has to drop down to not drop down to the web.com because he didn't have status. But he was probably expecting to be straight on the PGA Tour. Goes to the Tour Finals, wins an event straight away. Um, and I just think that just speaks volumes of of how quick he is to adapt. You know, he's he's, he's faced an early disappointment and then gone right. Well, I need to go to web.com Tour Finals, get this win, um, and then you know, in the very next year. He goes and beats Patrick Rogers, you know, by a single stroke, and and that was a 65 in the final round. And I just think, how much more evidence did you need at that time that he was going to be really, really good? And it was because there was a little, um, and I think that you'll be able to give better insight into this. There was a period between that win at the Web.com finals and the win at the John Deere Classic. Um, in between there is when he experimented with the side saddle putting, and he and it did kind of derail him for a couple of months because um, he was facing issues with the USGA and, and conforming issues. Yeah, and like, you know, look, like I think that more than his distance, more than anything, the thing that has impressed me most about Bryson's career thus far is the transformation of his putting. Um, you know, putting has ruined so many good, promising careers on the PGA Tour, right? Bryson DeChambeau wasn't a great putter in college, came onto the PGA Tour, and it's easy to forget how much he was struggling, right? When he first came up and it was because of his putting, he was in the kind of mid, he was in the mid one hundreds um, in terms of strokes gained putting when he first came up, he decided to blow it all up. He started side saddling. Um, it was a very quick thing, not because it didn't work, but because he was just saying, you know, the USGA was really, you know, hounding him in terms of making sure his putter was up to specs, making sure his style was legal, all that stuff which they should be doing. But it just became not worth it for him. And that's when he developed the putting technique that he's used now. And he's ranked inside the top 15 of putting in each of his last two seasons, right? So from a truly, like, well, well below average putter on the PGA Tour to one of the best on, on tour with his arm lock style, with his straight arm lock the left arm approach um which is what he does with his end range of motion stuff that's been a real success story for him and i think to your point tom that that shows that this is a guy who isn't loyal to anything other than getting better at golf and adapting to that end because his putting is living proof of it yeah absolutely and i think again it was it was almost like on 
on the weekend at Wingfoot, and there was there was a guy in contention that people don't like in terms of Patrick Reed. Then then Bryson won. It was kind of like, oh, you know, here we go again. It's going to be we're not going to get that that feel winner that we want. We're not going to get the happy smiley Matthew Wolf win. And, and I love Matthew Wolf. He's great for the game. Uh, absolutely nothing against him. But at the end of the day, I just want to see the best guy win. I don't care who it is that does it or or how they do it. Particularly, it's just they need to. We need to see the correct winner crowned. And um, you know. As soon as he won, it was like, okay, first thing was, oh, he's just, he's just pounded it all the way across the golf course, missed all these fairways, um, and, and just wedged on. And I was like, well, there's so much more to it than that. I mean, Jeff Ogilvy actually ranked higher comparative to the field in driving distance. He was sixth in the field when he won, and Bryson was seventh. You know, the, the, the distance was exactly the same on average than, than it was the year before in terms of formula. It was just a case of that like you said earlier, that not only did his he rank top three in every area, but then on the final day, his putting was the third best in the field. And uh, and then it was like, well, actually, I, we don't like his putter. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. I mean, we've, we've, we've gone over the belly putting and the anchoring ban. He's now not doing anything that's, you know, illegal. We've got other players doing similar things, except, you know, I think his putter's a bit more upright than other people. Um but it's just a case of let's find anything we can to pick holes in his game. When really and truly, he, I just, yes, it may not look so pleasing to the eye. I think everyone's you know obsessed with shot shapes and you know you know how how they shape the ball when when they hit off the tee and things like that and the putting stroke. At the end of the day, his putting stroke looks unbelievably rock solid in comparison to anybody else on tour. I think it's the most repetitive stroke, and people just want to pick that apart because it's not the norm. Yeah, again, it's like one of these classic, like, it's not as I envision golf to be, so therefore it's, you know, alarming and weird. And look, there's this growing, like, anti-arm anchoring movement too, but the thing I'll say for that is that do you actually try arm anchoring? It, I mean, it's not necessarily <laughs> easier at all, you know? the um, If your arms are moving in the wrong direction, your club, there's no way to compensate for that, Right. And moving your arms in the right direction is a lot easier said than done. Uh, the reason why it's legal is because the USGA said that the free-swinging movement of the arms is what defines a stroke. And by any, it's, it's by any objective measure, using your putter, even though it's leaning up against your arm, which is another thing, it's not locked, right? It's very much just leaning against it. Um, it's, it's, the arms are still moving independently, of everything else that's going on. So, look, it's a specific style, uh, but, you know, Bryson's 78-degree putter and his arm lock style and his straight arms, it, it's something that works for him. Um, and I think it's something that he's made work for him, too, through sort of trial and error and tons and tons and tons of practice. And that's the thing I think people don't see. I think people think that if, if you and I picked up that putter, we'd hold more putts and it's some sort of cheat. And I think that... No, it isn't. He's had to work his absolute socks off to get this putting stroke to be where it's, you know, where it is at this stage. You know, he's top 15 in in the world, and um, you know, it, uh, the way I look at it is, if if every if it was that easy to do, wouldn't everybody do it? So if you know, there's players on the tour. Hideki Matsuyama would be one of the elite. I mean, he is a very good player, but he would be an elite, winning a lot more regularly if he could putt. Tony Finau, a similar type of player. You know, these guys, if it was that simple, why are they not using that technique? And I think it's because they know that Bryson knows how to make it work and they don't. Yeah, exactly. I think ultimately, like putting, the skills that help you putting are a lot more mental than anything else, in my opinion. You know, it's about reading. You know, it's about reading the green correctly. It's about leaving your ball in the right spot. It's about judgment. It's about speed control. I mean, I think one of the reasons why Bryson's so good at putting is his distance control is really gotten impeccable. And it's because of the system that he does where he effectively measures his backstroke, um, you know, based on based on the speed of the greens that day. He'll sync up at the start of the day and he'll look at a 20-footer and he'll realize, okay, for a 20-footer, I need to bring my... Yeah, putting stroke two inches back and two inches through and then he'll just start sort of pivoting around from there i think that ultimately that system that he's devised really really works for him and i think that that's what has brought his putting to a next level um yeah i don't think it's a 
it's an arm anchoring thing as much as it is like a renewed approach and a system that he's really uh, devised and, and committed to. Do you think, and this is one of the, uh, not arguments that I've made, but one of the things that I think supports what Bryson has done, I think if they took, if they tomorrow banned that putting style and they, you know, his, um, everyone has had the same loft on their driver and, um, you know, they restrict. They took all these restrictions into place that basically negated his um, advantages. I personally think that it may take a little while. It may take six months. It may take a year. It may take a little bit longer. But I still think that if that was the case, that Bryson would still find a way to be successful, and he would still be a top five, you know, top three player in the world. Because I just think that he his biggest asset. And it's one that you cannot quantify and you cannot put on paper is his adaptability. Yeah, and look, like Bryson won the US Amateur and the NCAAs in the same year, not using the style of putting. Um, <laughs> you know, I think Webb Simpson won his major with a belly putter and then he suffered when that came away, but it took him a while. He rebuilt his putting around his new system that he's using. Uh, I don't think that it's the system itself as much as it is like a, an approach uh, and adapting of a technique and really just kind of honing that in. I don't think that, you know, I think the secret to golf is that there is no secret, right? There's just everything it is capable of working and not working at the same time, depending on the way you match it up, right? Like somebody who pulls every single one of their putts uh, three degrees left every single time can make every single putt they see if they're accounting for it in the right way with where they're lining up to begin with, if that makes sense. So yeah. it really is more about like repeatability and putting yourself in a position uh, where you can actually repeat what you're doing and understand what you're doing and match it up correctly. And I think the other thing that, that really stands out to me is that he had a four-win season in 2018. I think that sometimes, again, as I pointed out or sort of stated earlier, is that maybe he's his previous uh, starts to his career were kind of overlooked because of what he's doing now. Um, it had been very easy for him. He won the Memorial, two playoff events and the Shriners, all between June and November. I, you know, I don't think that everybody would do it, but I think there'd be a certain amount of players that would go, right, well, whatever I'm doing this year works. There's nothing else I need to do. And yet he continued to strive to improve on that and and basically looked at it and said well what's where's the easiest area for me to to maybe gain a lot of strokes on the field and and that's off the tee so he set out to do what he's doing now and and between um you know november 2018 and july the 5th in 2020 when he won the rocket mortgage there was a bit of a lull because he was experimenting with things and i think that uh, that's the thing that people don't see that there's so much that's gone into it and you know i think that um anybody is physically capable of doing what they've you know he's done to his body right but i think that the mental pursuit of, of being comfortable to do that i mean i know you've been through a bit of a, a weight change in, in in the opposite direction in in that respect but it takes an awful lot of dedication and commitment to do something like that yeah absolutely and i think too the thing with bryson is that he is coming from a like a foundation where he was able to do that like i don't necessarily think of webb simpson packs on 50 pounds that he would be like proportionately better, you know. I, I, his swing mechanics are a lot, lot different than Bryson's. Um, so you know, look, he may be good, he may be better than Bryson is if he packed on that much power. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Bryson spent like almost all of his golf career chasing accuracy and consistency to begin with. And then he's decided to add more distance on top of this. And he's still now constantly focusing on accuracy and distance too. Um, it's not like he has forsaken all that stuff. So uh, I, 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 don't, I think it's way too simplistic to say he only cares about distance and that's, that's all what, because that's all what golf is. I think he's, um, you know, he's trying to make it repeatable and he's, he's spotted an opportunity to gain distance, but like, you better believe if he feels like his accuracy is suffering, you'll see him change. Like, uh, if, if he feels like he is putting too much wear and tear on his body, you'll see him dial it back. Like, because as we were discussing earlier, 
Bryson only cares about getting better and winning and um, you know that's what his priorities are he's not trying to be a long drive guy he's trying to win the Masters so it's I think it's a it's always going to serve him well that mindset yeah and I think that this was the thing that kind of that made me laugh is that like because he came out and said after the US Open um, that he was going to look at the the 48 inch shaft on a driver and he was going to try and get up to 200 mile an hour club head speed and 400 yards off the tee everyone was just like well that's it that's all you care about you're going to just try and overpower Augusta well Augusta cannot be completely overpowered I think that you know there's so many intricacies on the greens the slopes the runoff areas the the shapes you have to play around Augusta and he knows that and I think that but what he's saying is is I'm not done yet this is not the limit to where I can be with this specific area of my game when I get to that area I'll then go on to the next thing and I think I just think it's you know this it's not a fanboy podcast that's not what we're trying to get to here but I just think that people are not quite seeing the pursuit of greatness there's plenty of people that do i think there's been people that have praised him i think that his peers generally praise him even if they you know don't quite like the approach but i think that he he's he's just he looks to maximize everything he can and you know maybe it'd be a case of that the 48 inch shaft won't be allowed or whatever but until he's told otherwise he's going to keep pushing his limits and that and that's basically speaks to his biggest asset which is his uh his strength and determination to improve yeah, exactly. Um, I think that ultimately with Bryson that he is going to do whatever puts him in a position to win. Um, and like, you know, he'll just he's he's extremely adaptable. So sort of nothing's off the table uh, in terms of him doing it. He's just going to pursue the path where he thinks he can become a little better at golf. So um, and frankly, like, I think that that's a good shot in the arm for golf, generally speaking, too. Right. Like it allows him to. It's to, it allows a greater sense of innovation and diversity within the sport, which I think is always better on when it comes out of the other side of that. When somebody comes along and shakes up the status quo a little bit, uh, I almost can't think of a time when golf was worse off for that. So I think um, I think uh, uh, Bryson being in golf and at the top levels of golf will only serve the game well in the long run. And what would you say to that there's been a, a lot of focus as we turn our attentions to the Masters? Uh, one of the points I made uh, on previous podcasts is that, you know, we've got two Masters in space of six months. So we've got November and April. Uh, and I think that, you know, if he gets to Augusta in November and he finishes 10th, 15th, 20th, whatever it is that he finishes, um, I just think that he's going to learn so much from that week that suddenly in April he's going to be banging contention. I don't think he'd go backwards. I think that. He may have to change his approach. He may find that hitting it miles down there doesn't really help. But um, I think that it always he will always learn from his own game and what the course showed him. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you know ultimately Bryson is very much like sorting through a lot of stuff in his game right now. He, you know, when you're packing on that much swing speed and that much weight, like being able to hit a um, a, a 50 yard flip wedge versus a 60 yard flip wedge is like a real finesse thing that takes a while to understand like what your body's doing there's a thin margins there that you're operating on um when it comes to augusta specifically he's gonna have to figure out like okay what can i carry what can't i carry what is my line what isn't my line like all this stuff um there is a certain amount of testing it out that he's gonna have to do maybe he gets it done in november or maybe this first November Masters is sort of a prelude to what's going to happen in April when he has a few rounds under his belt with his newfound distance and sort of greater understand how his game can be applied to that golf course. What would your what would your take be? Because you know a lot of focus again, uh, as we spoke about alluded to earlier on at Winged Foot was that um, you know there's no green books allowed at, at Augusta National and, and that's really going to affect his game and it, and I think it will I think that he likes having the green books that's what he likes to reference to them but I I don't think it's the be all and end all for him I think that he knows a lot more about putting and reading putts than than people think I think everyone just thinks it's a scientific robotic approach to putting and, and he uses that green book and he needs it and relies on it I think it's more of a confirmation he knows generally what he sees and what he thinks he's going to need to do it's just that He's comfortable with using that, and why would he not use that and handicap himself? I think that he'll get to Augusta National and he'll do the practice rounds as he needs to, and he'll figure out the greens on the week. 
Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that he'll figure out the greens on the week. I think like he'll use the green books in advance, right? Like not during tournament rounds, obviously, but I mean, I can imagine if I was a pro, I'd try to consult them um, in advance. So just to understand like the general movements of the greens. And I think that, look, like if I had to guess, like I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that Bryson won't win at Augusta. Um, look like, well, yeah, of course, I guess there is evidence to suggest he, he wouldn't, right? Like, it's hard to win two majors, especially in these unprecedented times. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that he competed extremely well um, at the PGA Championship. He won the US Open. He's won uh, one other time this season in between then. Uh, he's he, he has shown that he's able to adapt his game to courses that don't suit him. Augusta is a course that would suit him. So I think he would be coming into Augusta the favorite and understandably so. Um, and again, like it's partly not just because of his distance, but it's because of things like his putting. He's an extremely good putter. And I think that that's going to there's not one area of his game that's an overall strength. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's such a strong pick for that week. And where, where do you, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, you can't cap where his game's going to go, but where do you think, um, you know, it ends for him in terms of driving? Do you think there's a, a golden number he goes, right, well, I've, you know, I've got to 200 mile club head speed and, and 400 yards and, and that's entirely enough for me. I'm going to go and start working at, you know, because I think that everyone thinks he's just focused on that. He's going to be working on other parts of his game, but of course that's getting a lot of his attention at the moment. When do you think it then goes to what he can do with his wedges, as you spoke to him, what he can do with, you know, his approach? Because he's an excellent ball striker, and I think that that is lost in all of this. He was a renowned ball striker uh, when he was being recruited for college. It was a case of, um, you know, people didn't like the funky quirks he had, but they 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 realised what you know what qualities he had with ball striking as well. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of how far I think his distance will go, I think that he's like fast coming up on the ceiling. Um, he said that he's going to continue. He's just going to going to continue getting fast, uh, basically as much as he can. Right. He's just going to continue trying to gain speed until his body starts to hurt, then he will just stop. Um, so, you know, I don't think he thinks there's an end in sight. I personally think that he'll probably tinker out, tinker around with a 48-inch driver. I think he'll, and I think that's going to sort of be, accomplish his distance goal. I think uh, the, the priority will then shift to, like, keeping control of that 48-inch driver um if he does indeed go that route I, I actually don't know for sure if he will but that's just what i you know that's kind of my blind guess that will happen i think that in terms of his ceiling i think that he's sort of coming up on it in terms of swing speed and i think that his priorities will probably shift slightly to doing things like really honing in his wedges to keeping his putting good um all that sorts of stuff because i think as we saw at wingfoot he's got the formula that can win kind of anywhere on any week um it's uh, at a certain point it's about sort of repeating that yeah and do you think that you know as we spoke about as you said there that he's going to have to control the 48 inch driver from a from an instructional point of view i know you do an awful lot of uh, instructional uh, content on golf.com do you think that that will be where we see his not a downfall but that will we will see some wild drives because at the moment he's it's underrated how straight he hits the ball considering how long he hits it and i think that that may be you know, I, I don't know because I don't know what experience he's done with it, but I would say that's maybe the tipping point where the, the driving accuracy may suffer. Yeah, and look, like if his driving accuracy does suffer, he'll just stop using it. Um, I've no doubt about that. Um, it will be, you know, like, again, he's not the first person to come along and say, oh, well, what if I just added a few inches to my driver? Um, he would be the first person to get it right if he actually does get it right. That's kind of the big thing. Um, but that's why I think that, he certainly won't be lacking for distance if he does indeed put a 48-inch driver into play and just begins going kind of full send on everything. Um, his priority will shift to like managing the direction of it, um, as he would probably say. So I think that that's that, that that's why like I I don't think it'll just be constant like adding on of speed 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 because really what he's trying to find is a balance he's trying to make sure that the formula works in a way that he can actually go out there and win 
And also, I think that the other thing with the Masters is, is we see so many players get written off at Augusta because it's such um, a course that's so repeat, it happens every year. You see what type of player suits. You know, after a player has played it for five, six times and, and not contended, you start to think, well, they can't win. And then all of a sudden we see players like Henrik Stenson compete when he wasn't expected to compete. We saw uh, Webb Simpson finish in a tie for second. You know, there's players that are not expected to do well there. Zach Johnson's one there. Um, and, th- and then they turn it around. And I think that the, the only defence that I think people find at the moment is that he doesn't have enough feel in his wedge, you know, wedge game. He's chipping around the greens. Um, but again, I'm pretty sure that everyone was saying, yeah, I'll put him on a tight line, he won't be able to cope. I think that maybe at the moment it it may bother him because I think that he's not dedicated enough time to that area of his game because of the pursuit of driving. But within uh, you know six to eight months, a year, if he really dedicates himself to that area, that will become a strength for his as well, like the passing has. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that, you know, again, like Bryson's game is just, so well-rounded in so many different ways. Um, to your point earlier, I, I think that that's something that gets vastly underrated, like his accuracy off the tee, his ability on the greens, his sort of overall scrambling ability. I definitely think that that's a... Uh, it, it's like an under... It's underrated in its entirety. Um, and, and I think given enough time, people will start to realise that, that the driver may grab the headlines... Um, even at Augusta, he's going to be taking some lines that we've never quite seen before in terms of like where he aims on 13. He'll probably try to take like the Bubba Watson line or all sorts of crazy stuff um, that we can't help but talk about, rightfully so. But it really, the story of Bryson's success will be about like how he can present his game in a well-rounded way to that golf course. Do you think as well that any of it may be a kind of an intentional smokescreen on his part, that he's kind of happy to let everybody talk about this kind of weight gain and talk about these long drives? Because at the end of the day, he he's fine for all that media attention to be on that whilst he quietly grinds away at all the other elements of his game. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that he thinks about... I think he thinks distance is super important because it is. He said so. But, like, he's not trying to sacrifice every other thing and only try to hit the ball far right like Cameron Champ hits the ball as far as um, Bryson DeChambeau is at least capable of it um, the reason why Bryson just won a major is because his game is more well-rounded at this point in time so I agree like I don't think Bryson thinks like win or lose it's only about the driver it's only about distance I think he's just he's trying to he's like spinning multiple plates at the same time which is really what golf is all about and and uh, on a, a personal level, you know, Bryson is now a contributor on, on golf.com. He's going to do some pieces with you guys. And, and I know you've, you've, you've kind of documented his um, transformation, especially over the last six or seven months, because, you know, during a pandemic, it's nice to have something to focus on, of course. And, and as part of your job, that's something that you need to do. And, um, you know, I think we spoke a little bit off air, but I think that there's, again, this misconception is this, this really arrogant you know, brash guy that, you know, isn't really interested in what everyone else thinks that, you know, he's just going to do it his way and, and no one else really matters. But, you know, I think you've got a relationship with him that, that sort of, you know, counteracts all of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, like, I just, I think he's a genuinely nice guy. And what he'll say is that he's a fierce competitor and, you know, he's not always perfect and he makes mistakes. But ultimately, I like Bryson on a personal level. I'm lucky to have gotten to know him. Um, I'm happy that he's in the loop over here. And I think that, you know, everyone will be better off for it, really. Um, I think that he's a voice in golf that golf needs more of. And I think that, you know, his approach is really just about trying to make golf more enjoyable for people, uh, more interesting. Um, And I think that his overall, like, attitude towards the game is not trying to you know do harm to anyone and it's 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 simply just a guy who loves golf wants to get a little bit better at it so um yeah you know i i'm a i'm a bryson fan unapologetically so and i uh and i hope everybody else is and i hope that over the coming kind of months and years we'll see uh we'll get to know him even better in a way where lots of people will start thinking of themselves as bryson fans too yeah, I think I think that's what it is. I think at the moment, because he's very single-minded in his pursuit of success and you know improving his area of game, he's going for an awful lot of different changes of his body, of his swing. That 
he hasn't got time to be the media darling that people expect these guys to be. I mean, there is uh, there's so many elements to being a professional golfer. There's a professional uh, talker. There's interviews. There's there's everything. And I think that at the moment he's not that part of his game would would obviously or part of his um, personality can obviously be improved. But also I shouldn't. I don't think it should be expected. I think that at the end of the day you can only answer what you're asked, and and that's an awful lot of that. And I think that. Like you say, you know, give it three or four years, and I think that people would adapt to, to liking it and seeing it for what it is, which is just a very admirable way of approaching the game. And do you think that, um, you know, because a lot of players, I think, but you know, and, and coaches and, and other sorts of, I think Bones basically said it when he was watching at wing foot. He said that, you know, college golf and junior golfers now just build up their swing speed and, and that's it, and, and, and go and focus on that. Do you think it is going to have... He is going to be the pioneer for a massive lasting change in junior and college golfers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he will be the pioneer of it, but I do think that he will be like a proof point of it, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. um, I think that he will be pointed to as an example, just as Tiger was, just as Jack was, as like, this is why you need to swing hard, kids. This is how important distance is. Like, swing hard, get in the gym, work out. Uh, swing harder <laughs> this is all going to be something that i think bryson contributes to in a really huge way um you know when people say why should i swing hard it's like well look at what bryson did and look what tiger did like i do think that that's going to be uh what this u.s open elevated him to yeah absolutely and and, and as a as a you know as a self um, pointed out you, you know you're a golf nerd that you know you're happy to, to take that title on that mantra um, do you think that it changes the way you view the game? I mean, I think you've always been quite analytical and scientific in your approach and and, and admired the way people you know, get delve into those concepts. But do you think it's actually made you look at your golf game differently and, and golf as a whole differently? Yeah, I think so. Um, like I said, I think his general, like, nothing's off the table in terms of improving is, like, something that I find inspiring and it's definitely something that informs my own game. Um, I think there's a bunch of swing stuff that I find myself getting increasingly curious about that Bryson does. Um, you know, a big thing with him is like how his left arm works through the ball. He wants to keep it pretty much straight and locked as a way of like controlling the radius of his swing and a way of controlling like the club face through the ball. Like all that stuff's really interesting. And I don't want to go too deep in it because we'll find, you know, we'll see lots more of it in the future when I can actually sit down and understand it more and then bring it to uh, our audience. But, um, you know, it's, it's just, there's a bunch of stuff that I think that Bryson is kind of on the cutting edge of right now that I think um, is certainly like piquing my curiosity. And I think that it, simplify simplified slightly and brought to like the rest of the golfing public i do think that it's something that they could adapt elements of in their own game and improve because of it yeah and i think that there was an article that i read yourself recently um and it's it, he calls them golf swing governors doesn't he and, that, and that's how he measures his game and, and you go into detail on there and you can check it out on golf.com um is, is why that is his secret weapon why it's not about long distances. Why these parts of his game that he can repeat, he can check on, are the reason for his success. And and I think he he sort of tips the hat to, to Jordan Spieth. I think it is that that made him think like that before he you know implemented it himself. Yeah, exactly. And like look, like when we talk about like golf governors and things, like he wants to put his muscles in a position where they simply can't move anymore. Like they're maxed out. Um, So if you were to hold your arm in front of you, for instance, and you turn your palm like as far as it can to its right, there will be a point where you're not able to turn it anymore. Um, Bryson wants to use that limitation to his advantage in the golf swing because his idea is that, like, look, if it can't turn anymore, it can't turn anymore. Um, That's a one less variable I have to think about in golf. So how can I use that? So stuff like that is like a really interesting approach to the game and i think that it's um you know i I definitely it's something that i want to learn more of as a self-proclaimed golf nerd (laughs) and and that's the thing isn't it it is it is uh, at the end of the day he majored in physics so it was it was that's his approach to golf and i don't think 
what not what we're saying here is that everyone has to take the same approach and everyone has to be the same mindset it's not if you, you know, if you don't do that it's going to be adapt or die type of thing i just think that the core elements of what he's doing which is um striving for improvement all the time i think let's not to call other people lazy but i think that his work ethic is unmatched i think that um you know his his um ability to to consistently stick with something i think that you know luckily for him he has success very quickly when he puts changes in motion but uh if he didn't he would work at it whereas i think some people are very quick to to abandon ideas that maybe would have worked for them in the future yeah, I think ultimately, like, there's a big element of people, you know, in terms of, like, when it comes to, like, abandoning ideas and trying, it, like, a lot of people do kind of look for, like, a quick fix or something that feels comfortable to them. And, again, like, if we're sort of bringing it back to Bryson, he doesn't really care about all that stuff. He's He just wants to put his golf swing in a position where he thinks it's, like, max repeatable most of the time. And do you think that there is going to be a point where he will... Um, you know golf's never a game of perfect and it's never a case of you'll never have to work at it but do you think he'll get to a point where he will have you know the most repeatable action of anybody on tour because we see guys that can repeat the same you know people marvel at how Jim Furyk used to be able to repeat the same action despite having you know a weird swing you know Matt Wolf and his pre-shot routine but he still uh, ends up at the ball at the same way do you think he will just be because at the end of the day, when you look at it, it, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot that can go wrong with it at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, like, so part of this is that he won't be as repeatable in terms of, like, how many fairways he hits because he hits the ball further than Jim Furyk. But, like, um, I do think that, I mean, I guess, ultimately, I think right now what Bryson has is an edge. And that's so difficult. Uh, that's so difficult to, like, get in golf for lack of a better word. It takes ages for people to find them. And when you do get that edge over the rest of the field, you generally clean up for a short time and then everybody else catches up. So right now, I think Bryson's in the cleanup phase. Um, so he's going to have an edge for about 18 months, I reckon. And then um, and then I think like people will start catching up. Uh, people will start uh, taking his lead, pushing on more muscle, swinging harder, all that good stuff. So I... I, I, I I don't like, you know, look, that's just kind of the natural order of things, right? Like somebody comes out with a, somebody comes out with an invention and everybody else sort of copies it and then you're back to square one in many ways. Uh, they're great innovators in every sport, the ones that keep innovating. But I think that Bryson's in a very good spot right now and that he has created an edge for himself. Um, yeah. So I think that uh, in terms of like long term, who knows if like Bryson's going to be like the king of golf for ages. Uh, I you know that's so rare when that happens it's like a tiger jack like event but um but but i do think that he does have one right now yeah and do you think that he is aware of it of being an 18 month window like you said there do you think you know for you from an outside looking in it's it's something that you you know it's not an exact timeline but it's something that you, you know your prediction on your part do you think he sees it as that as well he's going to start going well I, you know i'm going to be in this position for a reasonable amount of time because people are still not going to believe in what I do, catch up to what I do, and then he will have be forced to adapt again? Or do you think he sees it as he's going to be constantly ahead of the game? Um, so, like, I think Bryson is always looking for edges, which is going to serve him, like, extraordinarily well. Um, yeah, like, extraordinarily well. Uh, so I wouldn't surprise him if he finds a new edge, but I think in terms of there'll be some people who say, well, you know, this was just a bit of a... You know, there'll be some people who are late to arrive and then there are others who will kind of dive right on. But I think that whatever Bryson's next edge is, it probably won't be distance related. It'll probably come from some other area. Um, yeah, you know, I do think that he is like extremely innovative in a bunch of different ways on that front. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well. And to summarise it, I think that both yourself and I, um, you know, like the approach that he's taking. I think that it's good for the game of golf. I don't think there's a very much a, a persona that, you know, or a perception that everyone thinks it's bad for the game. And I think it's the complete opposite. I think you agree. Um, but also, I think that there there is just still much more to come. And I think that, you know, um, where do you think that golf is at in terms of uh, evolving? Do you think that I spoke to it earlier? I think that golf courses need to adapt more. I think that they're slightly further behind in terms of. 
um, you know, design and analytics of, of where the game is at. And I think that it's a time for the whole game of golf to improve. You know, I think that's the key word for me is that um, it doesn't there doesn't have to be a massive change in the way game of golf is played. I think distance is always going to be important. I think that we can just improve the way other people do things and, and things that were set up. Yeah, like I do think that like, um, you know, golf as we see it now is not going to be what golf is in the future. And I think Bryce is going to be a big part of that in terms of like really, um, you know, changing like his approach to the game, changing the way both we play golf and the way golf courses are designed and set up to defend against that. So um, I definitely think that he's going to sort of be the catalyst to spark a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Luke, I think we've I've taken up enough of your time this evening. I think that, um, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to get um, an idea from someone that, you know, knows Bryson well, that's followed his career well, because I think it's very easy for, for people like myself to, to see him when he's on TV and um, to, to kind of have this kind of false pretense that it's just, you know, he's caught lightning in the bottle and, um, you know, it's, it's bad for the game and things like that. But I think that to have someone that can discuss... Uh, the changes that he's made over a long term, long period, and, and where he is at in the game was adds a, an awful lot of merit to what he's doing. So thank you for joining us, and um, you know, let's keep an eye out for for what he's going to do in a future time. Will do, and thanks so much for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And if if you know if you guys don't follow Luke already, he's Luke Curdenine on Twitter. Um, you know, he's over at golf.com as well. Um, you know, he puts an awful lot of pieces on there that that really highlight. The things that we miss because you know it's not everybody understands the golf swing in the way that Luke does. You know he's played himself. He's that is, that's your job at the end of the day, isn't it, Luke? You, you have to you have to understand these things. And and the idea that you can put that to to almost simplify it for a mass market is is really uh, what we need. Absolutely, and hopefully hopefully help everybody else at home just get a little bit better at this this crazy game. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us, Luke, and uh, you take care. No problem. Thanks, Tom.